It's Robin Marshall, and this particular Sugar Mom podcast has two very important parts. The first is talking about that perfect man that we've all been looking for. Where in the hell is he? And the second is very near, dear, and clear to my heart. It has to do with our kids, drinking, mothers against drunk driving, and a very special message at the very end from my children to yours. So first, where is he? The perfect man. Do you think there is such a thing? Sometimes you find that guy and everything is going along just fine. Maybe even for years. And then all of a sudden you start to notice these little things. And your eye starts to wander a little bit inwardly more than outwardly as to why did I pick this guy in the first place? What does he have? What did he have that I was infatuated with? And is there anything left that I still want to hold on to? Is it worth having a conversation? It's always worth having a conversation. But the minute you start talking, you worry that you made the wrong choice because the back gets up, he becomes very defensive, he starts pointing fingers at you, you wind up seeing things about yourself that you may have not even noticed in the first place, and then what do you do? You start arguing about things that have nothing to do with the conversation you tried to bring up, which sucks. <sighs> I'm still looking for the perfect man. How many years does it take to find him? And you know what's really sad? I know there's somebody out there that is the perfect man that's looking for me. But we just don't have the availability to find each other. You try websites, when for a second you might find somebody that seems, oh my God, almost to say promising is a scary thing. And you slowly start a conversation with this person based upon his profile, his height, his job description, what he likes, what he looks like. And then 10 sentences in, boom, he hits you with something that you thank God you didn't go meet him in a restaurant in the first place for. Something like, if I were to say, your profile says you're looking for younger women. Why me? It's a sincere question. And he'll turn around and say, why does it have to be all about the words with you? I can already tell there's going to be a problem with you. Good luck in your search. And I'm just floored. But not floored enough that I can't write back, which I said, they were your words, genius. If you don't mean them, why the hell do you write them? Maybe you should change them so you don't confuse the next woman. I meant no harm. Good luck in your search. He has the audacity to write me back and say, I've never had any problems with women. You're the first one to ever be confused. I wrote back again saying, well, maybe I'm the first one that paid close enough attention because I care. And I don't want to show up at a bar and meet somebody that's a total fucking lunatic. And that's when I blocked him. 
But that's the thing. That is what we're up against. It's not just going to a bar and putting yourself out there without a girlfriend and looking at your cell phone or just, you know, smiling and looking around because as crazy as they are online, it's as crazy as they are in person. How do you determine? How do you differentiate? Where do you meet the normal people? I haven't mastered that science yet. And man, when I do, I'll share it with you. But if you have any ideas, I'd love to hear them. How about joining groups? Things that you share in common. Photography classes. Church. Synagogue. How about dog training? It's just that when you reach our age... Most men are already married. And if they're on websites like this married, you know they're miserable in their own lives. And they're looking for relief. But then what happens to you? When they become relieved and start to rely on you, you may become a little too attached. So dating the married man is not always the smart choice. You know, I did find love twice. Legitimate love, I thought. One, and I know you'll find this hard to believe, was love at first sight. I never, ever wanted to get married. I was young. I was 21 years old, and I was buying a ticket in a travel agency. (laughs) I was with my girlfriend, and we were going to Miami. Two party queens heading south to soak up some sun and God knows what else. And in walks these two men into the travel agency obviously looking to sell something to the agent, which led me to believe that they were either salesmen or they owned their own business. And I looked at one of the men, and I looked at my girlfriend, and I looked back at the one guy, the taller guy, and I had the nerve, which I'd never in my life done before, to stand up and ask him if he was looking for people to work for him. And he just smiled at me, and when he smiled at me, I knew at that moment that I was going to marry that guy. He gave me his card. (laughs) Crazy story, but I swear it's true, every little bit of it. I sat back down next to my girlfriend, who in turn looked at me with her jaw hanging open, and she said, what was that all about? And I said to her, I'm going to marry that guy. And she started to laugh, (laughs) as would I have. I was sort of shaking my head trying to figure it out. But the next day, I called him. I had the balls to call him. Do these things happen these days? I don't know. Everybody's too afraid that everybody else is nuts. But I called him and I said, Hey, I'm the girl you met yesterday in the travel agency. How about um, I come in for an interview? And he said, sure. He gave me the address, which was right around the corner from the travel agency. I wore my shortest dress, heels, nothing underneath for that just-in-case moment, which I don't admit to too many people, but hell, I'm admitting it to everybody here. And I sat down in front of his desk and pulled off my best Sharon Stone impersonation. In fact, you would have thought she learned from me. (laughs) And he asked me a bunch of questions about myself, and I asked him a bunch about him and the business, and 
I thanked him and he thanked me and I got up to leave and that was the end of that. So I thought, now what? The next day he called me for a second interview. Changed the dress and boots but kept the same non-under attire. Marched up the steps to his office, sat down in front of him and he began to ask me a couple more questions and I stopped him. And I said, are you married? And he just looked up from his paperwork, sort of shocked, and said, no. And I said, well, would you consider, like, maybe wanting to go out and have a drink with me? And he smiled and said, yeah, sure, as long as it's within the next three weeks. And I had sort of a baffled expression, and I asked, why? What happens in three weeks? And he said, I'm getting married. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, hmm, that's one of those moments where you just don't know if you should get up and leave and run or if you should sit there and pretend like it didn't really bother you. But I said to him, no, I don't think so. But I wish you the best of luck. And I think it would be best if I didn't work for you because obviously there's more interest in you than the job. And he respected me for my honesty. We shook hands. I left. And that was the end of that. Three months later, I get a phone call from him. I said, how's married life? He said, it's not working out. And I said, why not? He said, I don't know. The day we got married, she changed everything. She maxed out my credit cards. She doesn't really want anything to do with me. We sleep separately. Everything is a farce. I don't understand what happened. I could really use a friend. And that's what we became, friends, over the phone. For months, we would talk on the phone, because he still was a married man. And then he calls me and he says, I've moved out. I'm wanting to divorce my wife. This was three and a half months after he married her, and we got together. And from that day forward, he moved in with me. We spent the next 27 years together. So I was right, from right from the beginning. I was going to marry that man. There were a couple variations, for lack of a better word, but I did it, and it was love at first sight. But what happens in time and it happens to so many of us is that that first marriage where you're both working and struggling and having children and carpooling from place to place and being the mom and being the dad and being the wife and being the employee and we get so distressed and tired that we hardly have any time left for each other at the end of the day. And you come to realize that it's not just one person's fault. You both are at fault. And that's when you have to sit down and talk. Sometimes it's too late. And that brings me to where I am today, because it was too late. He's happy. He's found somebody. But I'm still looking. I still can't find what I'm looking for. I almost think I have this preconception in my head of the man that I want and then when I meet that person who I think I've been set up with or I've seen online, 
I'm so disappointed by one thing or another, and I'm afraid that he is too. <sighs> is it my own inner battle? Am I my own worst enemy? Can you say the same about yourself? Are we willing to settle again? That's what it's all about. Are you willing to settle twice? I'm not. I just can't. So here I sit and talk to you and wonder if you're going through the same thing. Occasionally I go out. Occasionally I'll answer an ad on a site, have a conversation. Once in a while I'll go for a second date. Most often I make excuses in my head as to why I shouldn't go again. I mean, I'm attractive. I speak well. I'm smart. I'm employed. I'm not asking for anything. Except that he'd be smarter than me and big enough and tall enough and strong enough so that I can lean on him if I need to. And it wouldn't hurt if he had a nice job. But that's just me. What about you? What are you looking for? Are you willing to stay in the same place for another 25 years and endure a marriage that's not what it was when you first got married? Or are you willing to take that risk and try and meet somebody like me? I'd love to compare notes. I'm posting this on my website, sugarmom.net. I'd love, love, love to hear your take. Where do you meet men? Are you willing to meet men? What do you suggest? Really, what's the right thing to do? Thanks for listening. It's Robin Marshall. And they call me America's number one sugar mom because I'm just that kind of woman that refuses to settle. I just want more out of life. And I feel I deserve it. And I'm willing to take risks to get there. That's a sugar mom. There's nothing wrong with stepping outside that box and being the woman you deserve to be. Remember all the stuff that was inside of you before you got married or even while you were first married? All the special parts of you that somehow the glitter started to fade because you had priorities and other things to take care of? That glitter, that sparkle, is what needs to come back to the surface and jump out of you. I'm here to tell you it's a possibility. You are not stuck. We can glitter together again, in spite of our men. I would love for them to sparkle along beside us, but if they're not willing to work at it, or if a new guy is quick to shut us down, it's time to move on and find somebody new. It's a hard task. I'm not lying, and I'm not trying to make light of a situation that we might be in. But wow, if we find the man that recognizes the glitter in us, wouldn't it be worth it to teach our daughters that it's a possibility for their future? Wow, I'd give anything for that. And I think you would too. 
Don't move. The second part of the Sugar Mom podcast is coming up, and it's very, very important to me that you listen. There's a piece that I've included of my kids talking to your kids that might just save somebody's life. I'm Robin Marshall, America's number one sugar mom. And one of the main reasons why I'm called a sugar mom, and by the way, it's a name I made up and trademarked, it's a woman who's been through the mill with children or child and husband, and it's probably just a normal life to most people. But when you have five or even one that's just a little bit out of control, the years just start to add up and blend and become unrecognizable as to when did this happen and what exactly did she do? Or he did not do that. And I did not say that to his teacher. All of these little episodes start to mesh together until you realize you're a different person now. Yes, leopards can change their spots. Yes, we're not going to lose the sassiness and the spunk we had while we were raising them. And yes, we're a little bit tired right now. But that sassiness and spunk is what enabled us to be able to raise our kids right in the first place. One of the things I tried to teach my children was not to drink. I tried. Did it work? Hell no. I found bottles of this and that in the bottoms of their closets and drawers. And I would reprimand, I would punish, I would ground, I'd yell. I would reason. I tried everything with my children to have them not drink. First of all, it's illegal. And second of all, they'd be no longer in control. They're teens, young teens. The best was we lived in a neighborhood that was very beautiful, middle to upper income level people. And these parents of my children's friends would allow them all to drink in their houses. And I was totally against this, as was my husband. We didn't agree at all with these parents. And I let it be known. And as a result, I didn't have too many friends. I even went as far as buying breathalyzer tests that you could order from online. Because I didn't trust the parents more than I didn't trust my own children. That's scary. It's bad enough they have TV and movies that teach them that wrong is right. It's like an uphill battle for the parent that wants to do the right thing. As a result, I just by chance happened to receive this email, sort of spam, and believe it or not, it was from Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And I sat down and I read this script and I changed it around a little bit and I studied it. And I thought to myself, I'm going to bring each one of my kids into my studio one at a time, and I'm going to have them read this entire script. And then I'll pick which child I think did the best job and I'll produce it. Well, if you could have seen five sets of eyes rolling when I said, come here, I need you to go in the closet and record this. And when they looked at it, their eyes just about bugged out of their heads because they saw it was a full page of script. But they did it, and I coached them through very little because I really wanted to hear their individual takes on this subject. I'm not saying my kids did a great job, 
I'm saying the message they created and had come from their souls is something I've never been able to top in my whole production career. They each touched me so deeply that I decided to use parts from all of them. I cut, I chopped, I pasted, I strung them all together with their own little nuances and phrasing and the things that I knew so well about each one of my kids. I sat them all down on the floor when it was done, all in a row, leaning against the wall, and I said, Okay, you guys ready? You want to hear what you guys did? And they sort of rolled their eyes again. Oh, Mom, do we have to? It's bad enough we had to record it. I said, just shut up and sit down. So they did. And I began to play it. And all of them were quiet. And at the time, the eldest was 21 and the youngest was 11. As I continued to play the recording, I watched their faces change. Their expressions changed. Their mouths hung open like they were enraptured in what was going on with the sounds of their voices and the messages that they all came forth with. I saw two of them with tears rolling down their cheeks. This was not them putting on. This was them recognizing what they had done together as siblings and what message they were passing forth to their friends and their friends' friends. And when it was over... I looked at them. They were speechless. And so was I. We were all choked up. And I'm asking that maybe you let your children listen to this audio that I'm about to play you. Make sure you're nearby to hold their hands if they're young enough, because they may need you. I've always learned that children are better teachers to other children than adults are to children. Because they're on the same level. They trust each other unconditionally. So let your children listen to my children. So with that, I present to you my five kids and their discussion about mothers against drunk driving and the biggest fear of all, drinking and driving. And maybe together we can change the world a little bit. One less drink at a time. I went to a party and remembered what you said. You told me not to drink, Mom. So I had a Sprite instead. I felt proud of myself. I felt so proud of myself, the way you said I would. That I didn't drink and drive, though some friends said I should. I made a healthy choice, and your advice to me was right. The party finally ended. The party finally ended, and the kids drove out of sight. I got into my car, sure to get home in one piece. I never knew what was coming, Mom. Something I expected least. Something I expected least. Now I'm lying on the pavement, and I hear the policeman say, the kid that caused this wreck was drunk. Mom. 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 His His voice voice seems so far away. My own blood's all around me as I try hard not to cry. I can hear the paramedics say. I can hear the paramedics say. I can hear the paramedics say. This girl is going to die. I'm sure the guy had no idea while he was flying high. Because he chose to drink and drive. Now I would have to die. So why do people do it, Mom? 
knowing that it ruins lives. And now the pain is cutting me. And now the pain is cutting me. And now the pain is cutting me. And now the pain is cutting me like a hundred stabbing knives. Tell my sisters not to be afraid, Mom. Tell Daddy to be brave. And when I go to heaven, put Mommy's girl on my grave. Someone should have taught him that it's wrong to drink and drive. Maybe if his parents had... Maybe if his parents had... I'd still be alive. My breath is getting shorter. Mom. 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 Mom, I'm getting really scared. These are my final moments. And I'm so unprepared. I wish that you could hold me, Mom. I wish that you could hold me, Mom. I wish you could hold me, Mom. I wish that you could hold me, Mom. As I lie here and die. I wish that I could say, I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. So, I love you. So, I love you. And goodbye. I'm the older sister, and I just want you to know that this subject doesn't just matter to moms. It matters to all of us. All of us that are family members. I'm 21, and I'm asking you to keep an eye on your teens. Just like my mom kept an eye on me. Thank you for listening. This message was brought to you by MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving.